0: Welcome to a very special episode of what we're listening to We're breaking the format a little bit here um, And I am very, very excited to do so Because I have with me um, singer-songwriter John Van Dusen Um, It's so great to have you on the show Um, (laughs) That's my daughter, sorry Um, (laughs) If you can hear that in the background Um, Good afternoon, John, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good. I'm really good. How are you? Happy, happy Saturday morning. Thank you. Yeah, and um, uh, happy Friday. And also, congratulations on the release of your new single, Boring. Um, it, I really love the cover art that has come out. Um, <laughs> it's, it's pretty great. Was that you or is that another um, artist who's done that? Um, thank you. Yeah,
1: it is a friend of mine. His name is Spencer. Berghauser, mm-hmm. he is in Victoria, Canada, mm-hmm. and yep. he has done the bulk of my merch designs. And oh, cool! Yeah, I really wanted him to design something that I could use in different formats. So you know, for a T-shirt or a bag, but also for single art. And so I was mm. trying to capture how confused I feel. So that's why the raccoon. Mm -hmm. the raccoon is kind of living in this awkward space between um you know like secular and Christian culture so the raccoon has a DC talk shirt on but the raccoon's also smoking a cigarette and has all these empty beer cans and of course there's some references to albums I love so I'm glad that you like it I I also really love it
0: yeah and I I get the raccoons kind of distracted by things as well yes um yeah. Now it I'm has, jumping ahead. Sorry, in my in my thing. But tell me more, and then we'll go back and time and talk about the big picture here.
1: Okay. Well, yeah. The the raccoon um, has a Bible in one hand and a, a phone in the other, and it's the raccoon is choosing to look at its phone instead of the Bible, of course. And mm-hmm. um, there's also a foreign a foreign affairs magazine on the ground, which oh. is a magazine I read sometimes. It kind of represents just how caught up in the kind of geopolitical situation I can get personally and
2: mm-hmm.
1: how it can be a really, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. Um, mm. obviously it's a good thing to know what's going on, but it can also be really distracting and kind of take me out of, um, what's happening now in front of me. So yeah, that whole design kind of perfectly encapsulates the tension that I feel as a person.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. I, we're gonna go down some great rabbit holes. I can tell. It's it's something that I've been wrestling with this year: is how to be aware of what's happening around me, but how to not be completely swamped by information. And um, maybe that's something you feel in this. But it's a it's a fantastic little piece. But um, Thank sorry, you. I started with that. Let's let's zoom back a little bit. So. I have been trying to understand your back catalogue a little bit before we chat, Okay, but I must confess I've only been able to really think about the I Am Origami series. And so maybe at the top, with a release coming out next Friday, the full um, release of I Am Origami Part 4, uh, Marathon Days, um, I wondered if you could kind of like just give me as much uh, info as you want to give about the idea of this album series and, and kind of specifically kind of the crux of it. And then we can kind of keep going from there and, and that sort of thing. Did you, does that sound good? Yeah, that
1: sounds great. Cool. Uh, It's a good, it's a good question. I, I was previously in a band called, um, the lonely forest and Mm -hmm. I've always been fairly productive. Um, I write a lot of songs and a lot of the songs in the, I am origami series were songs that I had written for my previous band, but for whatever reason we never recorded or if we did record them, we never released them. And Mm. I had kind of moved on from that season in my life and realized that I had, you know, over 100 demos of songs that I really loved. And Mm. so I started dreaming up, this idea of the I Am Origami series as a way to kind of create one big art project that kind of, mm. s- kind of spoke to, at least in my opinion, the kind of holistic perspective I had on you know, what it means to be, I mean, it sounds kind of cliche or at least a little generic, but really just kind of the human experience, I think, as somebody who is a Christian, but has struggled with my faith a lot and has lived mm. most of my artistic life in the secular landscape. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of wanted to create an art project that kind of had all of these songs, but that it shared, or how should I say it? It didn't divorce, you know, the secular from the spiritual or the pagan from the Christian. Cause as a person, I feel like I'm kind of this, um, combination of those things. And so
2: Mm.
1: the title, the name, I am origami, I'd been kicking around for a long time. I thought maybe I would start a new band called I am origami at one point. And, Mm -hmm. and then it just kind of became this idea that I could release an album series with this like, um, kind of like big title. And then these kind of, um, you know, minor titles along next to them. And that in the end, if you took it seriously, Uh, you know, part five or six or how, I didn't know how many there would be, but that the, the, the final um, additions to the series, you wouldn't be able to divorce them from the earlier ones and that they really do just belong together. So that was kind of how I came up with the concept. And of course, origami, you can create an origami crane or a dragon from the same piece of paper. And so they, they end up looking differently, but they're made of the same you know, generic substance. And that's kind of the, the
0: concept of the series. That's cool. I, I remember you talking a little bit about this when you were interviewed by Renew the Arts. Um, and you said that maybe there'll be a part five. I, um, and it, it's interesting because I like what you said about how you can see the whole body of work, but then there's different titles for each release as well. And I think that helps you nuance a little bit of the project as well. Because if you just call it one title, it's like one album, you don't get to kind of, like you say, show the different parts of, you know, who you are as someone living in, you know, a Christian Christian secular environment and you get to, like you were talking on this other interview, um, nuance like songs particularly directed at God and then songs that are about other subjects and all of those mixed up together is kind of the bigger nuanced picture. So... Mm -hmm. Yes, I mean that's yeah, I mean, that's exactly it and i mm.
1: um I appreciate when people are willing to see it that way because I think in our current landscape in the way in which we consume media, it's really easy to cherry pick you know one mm. song or a couple songs here yeah. and there and so it really means a lot to me
0: when people see it as one big art project
2: mm.
0: it does take a. Patient um, approach to music, <laughs> yes. Um, not because your music is long, but like I am a, I am an avid fan of really long, indulgent post rock tracks. So I'm <laughs> fine with you know your music is very accessible, and uh, I I was able to listen to all four parts over the past couple of weeks in preparing to kind of chat with you, mm-hmm. and multiple times because you know. Some uh, part one and part three are like thirty-five minutes, thirty-seven minutes. Yeah. Um, but you get so much information and so much picture, not just about you as an artist, but like about, um, you know, the human experience, like you say. And it's really interesting to me. So, for context, I was informed about part two first. Um, mm-hmm. when it came out, um, our mutual friend John Ringhoffer posted about this album and uh, I was like, oh, cool. And so I, I dropped in there and heard your songs, which were much more kind of um, kind of like, it's interesting, the choruses of those songs I could imagine being played in churches, but mm-hmm. the verses were often more personal, at least from my perspective. Did you want to kind of uh, comment on that a little bit? Or I mean, I, I can't actually say I've ever thought
1: of it that way. So that's an interesting perspective. I, I'm, I don't tend to overanalyze my own lyrics very much. Sure. Mm-hmm. I kind of leave that to, to other people. <laughs> but mm. I, I do think I was trying to create a work of devotional art. I mean, I, mm. I, I had an agenda and I wanted it from mm. start to finish part two to be something that hopefully would help somebody grow closer to their creator, right? That, that was my ultimate yeah. goal. And mm. yet I also think growing up in the church and being around Christian music and especially in the last 10 years, the kind of shift from just generally just Christian music into more worship and congregational focused lyrics, um, mm. you know, over, over the culture as a whole, I think, I often felt like there wasn't a lot of nuance in mm. the yeah. lyrical content. And yeah. so that's probably why I was, I, I tend to write more person, personal lyrics when it comes to you know, the verses of the worship songs.
0: Um, yeah. And that's a good point and pushback on that because I shouldn't divorce the two in my mind. Um, I guess that it felt like sometimes for some songs like None Other, which mm-hmm. is one of my all-time favourites of yours. Thank you. Um, I felt like the verses were so personal that I couldn't even quite sing them. <laughs> like mm. for me, it was like, that's your story. But when it comes to the chorus, it's like, that's the part that I I can uh, like join in on. Mm. And yeah, and and so listening to that, it again you've done what you you kind of wanted to do was to combine the two like these devotional aspects as well as in re- the real world struggles thoughts all that sort of thing
1: right yeah mm. so, i like i like thinking of it that way i actually mm. lyrically my favorite song on that record is probably be merciful to me um okay because I, I love that there's just one line in it I love. And it's basically, is it okay to be angry with you? (laughs) And I, Mm. I just think there's probably a lot of people, you know, singing congregational hymns who have never sang that, that specific line out loud. Yeah. Cause it's kind of a scary question to ask of, you know, an infinite God. And yet personally, I don't think it should be scary at all to be angry with the Lord. God is clearly big enough to handle our anger. But um, I do really love that
0: line for that very reason. So, mm. yeah. and, and actually if we got to take Jesus' word about, you know, calling him father. You know, what child has never said, oh, I hate you? Like, you know, yeah, yeah. it's like, unfortunately, it's part of the human experience of us learning how to love properly. So, I don't know. Sorry, I interrupted you. You were going to say something else.
1: Oh, I don't know what I was going to say, but it is your experience of um, being dropped into part two as your first connection to the series is pretty common. I think Mm. once the the Gospel Coalition did that list, they did this list of like their top, I don't know if it was 20 or something, worship records from the last decade. And Mm. Every Power Wide Awake was on that list, which was a huge surprise to me. Of course, I only thought, a couple hundred people had heard it. <laughs> and that's funny because that brought in a new audience who, then at that time, probably, I was probably already re- getting ready to release part three. And mm. it's pretty common for people to actually get a little confused and think that there's two different John Van Dusen's <laughs> releasing music um, yeah. Yeah. because of how stark the difference is between, especially part two and part three. And mm. So I guess the question I'd have for you is after discovering part two, did you then eventually find your way to part one or part three? And what did that do for you as a listener? Because that's really interesting to me. That's part of the strategy was that if you found one in an isolated sense, you would then be at least somewhat curious to listen to the others.
0: Yeah. And you've preempted my, um, my comments because after part two, like I really enjoyed that as yeah, a devotional album. But when part three came out, I saw it on my peripheries. But I know this sounds really funny. I was only on Bandcamp. I didn't have any streaming services. And because it was tooth and nail, it wasn't on Bandcamp. Right. So it took me a while to get there. But when I did, I found it strangely addictive in a totally different way than part two. Um, I'm a big... Pop rock fan from my teen years. <laughs> I grew up listening to a lot of Tooth and Nail, and and so and also I'm a big Blink One Eight Two fan. As, as dumb as they are, oh, I love Blink I love yeah. Like there's something about it that is so insanely joyous. And when I heard a Catacomb hymn, there's it's ten songs that is the tightest kind of set I've heard in a while. And I just kept listening to it, and I was like. My mate on the podcast, I was like, I can't stop listening to this album. Um, I like, and the it, your music managed to catch me by surprise because it sounds like some things that I did listen to on Tooth and Nail as a teen and then I discarded when I got a bit older. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was in the middle, but the end of All Is Nothing and Nothing Must End that I realized your music really resonated with me. That song. The end of it, which goes chaotic and big, mm-hmm. was was like a musical integrity that I heard and went, oh, okay. And then the thing, the lyric that caught me was, um, "You don't know what you're asking," mm-hmm. and that was one of the first times that I'd heard the nuance of being an adult, you know, family and this sort of thing. In this kind of context And I re- what well, I've heard it in other contexts But It just was Spoken of so well Because You know I, the, Like so much hurt is done With expectations upon people In the church Or out of the church and, You know regarding family And owning homes And all this sort of thing mm-hmm. And this was a very generous song And I found I I still keep coming back to it Every time And it's It's very Very moving And so Part three actually solidified me as a fan of your music, I think.
1: (laughs) That's really, that's really encouraging to hear. (laughs) I, okay, cool. It really means a lot to me, actually. I, that song comes from a pretty emotional place, even though the lyrics are pretty, they're not basic in a bad way. They're just really simple and straightforward. And I think it's fairly cathartic Mm -hmm. for me when I sing it. And I've, yeah, often gotten emotional when I sing it and mm. my wife and I, if you listen to part one, there's this song called absentee heartbeat, which is yeah. I, I wrote the first verse the night after we had our first miscarriage and mm. the, you know, miscarriage being this kind of sorrowful thing that you experience as a couple often in isolation because culturally we don't tend to talk about it, even though yeah. it happens pretty often. And yeah that line and you don't know what you're asking where i say you know when are you going to have children of your own and of course the answer is i don't know that yeah. stems directly from this time where my wife would be basically still trying to recover from a miscarriage and people very innocently would kind of hmm. and playfully ask her but there's always kind of this this added weight to it um Almost as if Anna, babe, my wife, hadn't even tried yet. Like, when are you gonna have kids? You know, yeah. it's yeah. As if it, it's something that you can just kind of like make happen whenever you want. And of course, those those other lines in the song. When are you gonna start? I think it, I think it's showing up at church. Showing up church. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I yeah. can't. I I'm. I feel like the millennial experience, especially within like Western culture, mm. that is it's probably more common than not that you have somebody in your life asking you that in a condescending way. And probably ignoring the fact that like church in, in and of itself in our modern culture is pretty problematic. It's not, it's not always as life giving as Christians like to think that it is. And in many cases Mm. it's, you know, I have friends who, who feel they've been, they carry trauma around from their church experience. So it's, it's just these questions that are innocent on the surface, but that are actually really loaded and can oftentimes feel like these daggers. So anyways, that was a long yeah. way of saying it It really means a lot to me that you connected with it. And especially after connecting with part two, because I purposely named a catacomb hymn that title because I wanted people to think it was another worship record. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, 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 you know, it like, is, though.
2: It, yeah, right. We
1: could, we, that's a good, we could talk about that for a long time, like what is considered worship, um, at least artistically, but Mm. this idea that like you can worship from the catacombs, like you can, Mm. you can worship God by being angry at God or by being sorrowful. You can, as long as you're like living your experience without pretense and you're coming to God without these stipulations involved and you're being honest with your creator, I think that is God honoring. And so a catacomb hymn to me. It even ends. You'll find this funny. You know that that record ends with no hope, right? There's that with numb. Exactly. Yeah. That's just this mm. super bleak song. I wrote it on my birthday. I was in Oslo and I walked around alone for the day, and then wrote this song. Kind of gathering. I had a few friends going through really difficult situations, and I was also struggling with depression. So I kind of created this cocktail of lyrics, and mm. I've actually had Christians who I respect tell me that like, you know, it's really not okay to end a record so bleakly. And I think I understand where they're coming from. But in my personal experience, like I often go to bed without an answer or I go to bed not feeling God's presence. So to me, it's actually an honest depiction of the human experience. If you end a piece of art with a, um, you know, I'm numb, I don't feel anything.
0: So and you've only got to read Psalm eighty-eight. I think that's the one that ends pretty badly. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> you know, not a lot of these wrap up neatly, and and it's a and it also though you could say it's not the end because part four is coming exactly. And you know, there there it's like it's the, I mean, there has to be moments like that, yeah. There are times when you you do go to bed or you do end the week and the things are not resolved and it it would be a bit dishonest to kind of go and it all wrapped up nicely at the
1: end. Sure, and I think yeah. I actually think a lot of cultural Christians are actually are afraid of that dissonance. They're afraid mm-hmm. of you know admitting to themselves that their foundation of faith is flimsy or that they are angry with God or that this thing that they've read in scripture is actually really confusing and scary and you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I think Mm. if you want to have an honest relationship with your creator, you have to be able to exist in that dissonance because God is all knowing. Therefore you can't, you can't, you can try to hide it from yourself, but you're not going to hide it from God. Right. And so I think Mm. to me that living into that dissonance of um, that kind of scary place of, you know, things not necessarily resolving or, um, coming together in a picturesque manner. I think that's kind of like the first step of being properly poor in spirit or, you know, having that kind of poverty of spirit where you realize you need God, because if everything's rosy all the time, well, obviously you're not gonna, you're not gonna really experience that need for like Hmm. a true relationship. I don't know if that makes sense. What I just said, but it, it it made sense in my brain.
0: No, no, I I get it. And it's really interesting. I think that different different artists, you know, like yourself, who are wrestling with these themes have gone about it in different ways. And sometimes it can be all dark and sometimes it can be like all light. Um, but you mentioned that like, I think I saw on Instagram, you said one regret is like having some pretty like, Directionally towards God, and then directionally about totally other thing songs yeah. side by side. <laughs> and I don't know if you should regret that because it's you needed four albums. At, I mean, you might be writing a fifth, I don't know, um, to kind of explore that and to have these things side by side so it doesn't feel too trite, um, so it doesn't feel, um, Disingenuous yeah I, I I appreciate that i think
1: and that that shows that you that we're on a similar wavelength right and understanding you know in this case specifically my agenda, but also the agenda of other artists who probably do similar things, but I think it, on the days when I regret it it's mostly because it's a bad business decision <laughs> it's mm. like it <laughs> you know what I mean like the i I think I quote often this too Christian, too pagan, which is this slogan my friend um, published a book about. Mm. And I think, especially now in America, where things are so polarized and everybody's tilting pretty hard to the right or the left, I think to make art that is so explicitly both Christian and I guess in some by some definitions, not Christian and then combine it, it's just not It's not what most people want to consume. It's fairly niche. And so I think that, that's when I regret it. I'm like, oh crap, Like my, my audience is growing thinner, but I will say the people that connect with it seem to connect with it on a deeper level. And that's really important to me.
0: Um, I think sometimes I lose perspective because I've been in thinking about this for so long. It doesn't seem... Uh, sorry, I would say niche, doesn't seem too niche niche to me. Mm-hmm. Like I th- maybe it's because I'm at a certain age and I've been thinking about this and I've gone through all the different stages of thinking about this. So I'm like, yeah, of course. Like we're no longer like I was when I was 16 with a very kind of black and white view on is this band a Christian band and is this not a, like, you know, but everyone's at different, stages of that, I suppose. And so I need to understand that sometimes you gotta lead people into that. But but hopefully though as a society and even within the church, we have a better understanding of what is art which glorifies God and what is not. And that I do want to talk about part four specifically, but I do want to ask you, what is like some examples of this? Like other artists with, you know, like coming from this worldview that you're coming from that you really respect. Wow. I mean, that's, I know it's massive, right? It's massive. Do and there's are,
1: a lot there that I, I wish we could talk about this. I, I think you being in Australia and me being in America, I think the culture war that's being waged or it's called the culture wars here in America, it kind of amplifies the tension between like American Christians and everybody else. And it kind of creates yeah. this us versus them, them mentality. So obviously there are many Christians globally and in the United States that have more nuanced perspective on art. But in general, mm. American Christians culturally tend to be very um, uh, insulated and they kind of see anything out there as being dangerous and threatening, which is why... Maybe here in the States, and in my world, I feel a bit more tension, and just in general, a kind of like sure. uncomfortable feeling from others regarding the way I kind of straddle the line between secular and Christian
0: that, but and that can happen here too, just FYI like yeah, um, I think it's not as big, um, but definitely growing up um, you know, in the church we're influenced by the church in the States and that kind of comes in at times. And like, like I said, I grew up listening to a lot of American Christian artists. And so I do, I do get that, that really, um, like people trying to be super clear about things, right. But you're right in that in other countries, it's not as much of an issue, but yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. It's funny because, um, I remember in Germany, Uh, Rolling Stone, Germany profiled me once on a tour. And I remember Mm. um, there was one. I don't I don't know if they published this thought, but it was essentially and he made a Christian record and it's pretty good. (laughs) 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 I remember thinking there's no way in hell that like Rolling Stone America would say something like that. Anyways, um, so regarding, you know, other art that I think kind of. I, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I think I'm understanding your question, but kind of lives in the mm. tension between the two. Is that kind of what you yeah. were? So I think the first the first thing that popped into my mind was Martin Scorsese's Silence. Um, yeah. Mm. Of course, film kind of being this like pinnacle of artistic ambition because it involves like almost every other medium, <laughs> you mm. know, whether it's the visuals or the writing. Um the music the mm. the massive story arc i think that's a really good example of a huge big piece of art that i think is not afraid to speak of you know christianity and christian ethics and the beauty of christ while also leaning really heavily into the dissonance that we're talking about
0: yeah yeah that's the first thing i read me. it I've only read it, um, but I, I mean, I imagine the story is the same but told differently, but I totally understand what you mean.
1: Oh, well, I would encourage you to watch it if you can. I don't know mm-hmm. if you have that type of time. It's a long movie, but I think <laughs> it's also really fascinating to listen to interviews with Martin Scorsese about that film because mm-hmm. Martin Scorsese, raised Catholic, he's not ashamed of his beliefs. At least I don't get that impression. Obviously I'm very far away from him, but I just mean, it feels like he can talk about Christianity and not be uncomfortable. Yeah. While also maybe discussing some of this that we we're labeling as dissonance. And strangely enough, actually Stephen Colbert, the late night host, I also think does this very well. Um, yes. Of yeah. course he's maybe not creating art in the way we're, discussing here, but in general, his ability to be a Christian in the space that he's in on late night is pretty um, admirable, in my opinion.
0: There's that clip that got sent around of someone asking him directly, like, how does your faith influence what you do, like as a comedian, or like as a host and this sort of thing? And he gave a very good answer Mm -hmm. that I, I can't quite sum up, but I'll put... I'll put the link in the show notes to this episode. Yeah. Um, just because have you seen that?
1: I have. I really enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah. I it's funny actually, lately I've been rubbing shoulders with more Catholic artists that I really respect.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And growing up in evangelical America, Catholicism. I feel like still to this day, there are probably many Christians in the United States who would say Catholics are not Christians. And of course this personally blows my mind, but I, I actually, I got to write some with Matt Marr recently and I really like him and I think he's extremely talented. And I, I love the way he, he's functioning and living in a, in a really cool way into evangelical Christianity while also, he, he's another kind of like mainstream artist who I think um, isn't afraid to carry some of that dissonance around with him. And I, I really appreciate that. And yeah. Of course, we just mentioned Martin Scorsese and Stephen Colbert. Um, yeah. So
0: anyways, we can move on. What do you got? No, no. It's, it's, <laughs> it's really interesting. Um, <clears throat> speaking of uh, Catholicism, have you ever read The Sparrow? The science fiction By, um, novel? Mary Doria Russell.
1: Yes, it's been a long time.
0: Yeah, I, I. mean, it's not like my absolute favorite, and it's a very hard novel to read. Yes. Um, but it's very interesting in, you know, her faith influencing her writing, and another example of um, Catholic writers, and and I do listen to. Um, uh, there's another. He, he's much smaller. Harrison Lemke. He's um a singer songwriter um i'm not sure where he is in the states but i've really loved his songwriting as well um and just the way he kind of integrates his faith in a very humble and human way hmm. um into his singer songwriter stuff i'll send you that if you're interested it's quite nice yeah please do um um i've one thing that um i've been re but i because I have a young daughter, I've been listening to more audiobooks lately than I have been reading them. Um, mm-hmm. But my wife and I are listening to Lord of the Rings again. And okay. it strikes me as an extremely wonderful example of walking that line uh, that we're talking about. Like while I love Lewis and Narnia and all of his essays and stuff like that, mm. um, there's something about Lord of the Rings which feels so deeply true in a way that's almost unexplainable without reading the story, that I'm just constantly moved. Like every, you know, every chapter, every kind of scene feels like, you know, a mini sermon about something. Like it and I can't quite even explain it. And while Lewis's supposal kind of is very true and easy to explain and beautiful. There's something about Tolkien's writing which feels so much more integrated, if you know what I mean. Yes. Well, I, th- I think I know
1: what you mean because I feel like when you read C.S. Lewis's fiction, mm. the Christian allegory is pretty easy to grab a hold of. Oh, and you love the
0: Cosmic Trilogy too, right? I do. Uh-huh. The, the Space Great. Trilogy is yeah. one of my favourites but i yeah and that's outstanding yeah
1: it yeah and it's great and i think actually i would say out of the silent planet is a good example of when lewis does it a little bit he's a little bit more nuanced with his allegory and maybe mm. it was just you know more at least than you'd get in the chronicles of narnia but with tolkien i feel like i feel like there is um a richness and there's theology in there but it's almost it's earthy in nature. And what I mean is in the same way that like you could hug a tree, like literally go outside and hug a tree and like, think about what Hmm. a tree is. And as you begin to ponder upon what it is and how it works and how it lives, and you start to think about how God created this tree and you ruminate on that concept, you realize like it is a theological truth in and of itself. It's just, Hmm. I feel like Tolkien's spiritual depth is it's more ingrained into the world, whereas Lewis, yeah. it's really obvious—not in a bad way—when he's like creating a spiritual allegory. And I don't know if that's what you're speaking yeah. to, but for me, it's um, it's deeper and richer. Um, I need to—I actually need to go back and reread the trilogy because it's been a few years.
0: Yeah, well, that, that's what I'm experiencing because it was a long time ago that I read them and we've been slowly getting our way through listening to them again. And I think it's the difference between, and this may seem mean, I'm not trying to be a downer on Lewis. It's like where someone goes, I want to say something really true in my lyric. I don't care what the music is like. It can just be one, five, six, four. And then I'll just sing on top of that and not really care about the music. Mm. Whereas Tolkien feels like I'm going to put as much effort into the sound as I am the words and the two are going to complement each other uh, to to tell that truth. And I'm going to reference Boring, your song, in the whole lyric of like make me weird and then you've got the drums playing completely off beat, you know, <laughs> filling all over the place, just like chaos and that sort of thing. And that's where I see you've kind of combined the lyric and the music like a score composer would do. And I like that. I really do. So thank you. Nice. I
1: know that's interesting because that verse on in that song is special to me because you take at the beginning of the song, you have the salvation choir, which is a choir made up of refugees like recently landed in Kansas city. It had to have been maybe a year ago, but they, hmm. they sing the chorus from I will praise your name Yahweh, which is the last yep. song on every part wide awake and they sing it in Swahili. Mm. And then in that verse that you're referencing, when the drummer Braden is kind of doing these kind of crazy jazz fills, and there's a lot of noise going on the, um, the Swahili chorus is then reversed and it's played like backwards and it kind Hmm. of crescendos into this, um, actually, you know what, now that I'm thinking about it, I might be, maybe that that actually happens in the verse the second part of that verse where I talk about, um, God, I'm praying, you know, this song is obviously a prayer, but I'm basically saying to God, you know, you can do whatever you want with this project that I've created. Anyways, Mm. to me, I just love, I don't, I don't think there's any meaning in playing the Swahili chorus backwards, but I remember (laughs) sitting in the studio when we finally reversed it and put it there, it just felt so right. And I love, I love studio moments like that, where you just kind of like, you're just throw, yeah. throwing things at the song and, and discovering like like four to five times it's a bad decision, but there's that, yeah. that one time where it makes sense.
0: Love that. <laughs> That's great. It um uh, Oh, there was something I was going to say about that song. The thing I like about that too is that, so back to kind of culture and you're talking about like when did we get so boring and like all this kind of thing, it's very easy for a person seeing that song to, in the chorus be like, and I have all the answers. It's my music. You're like, hell if I know, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it, it's, um, it, that's a cool way of approaching it because you've twisted the narrative of like someone saying, yeah, all the other music is boring except mine. <laughs> oh gosh. I, <laughs> yeah, well, obviously Which I, I mean, know you're not saying
1: I'm including <laughs> myself in the we, <laughs> When, yeah, did, yeah. when did and, we all get so boring Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, it, and I can tell that, like, sometimes when I listen to, like, John Foreman's EPs, um, you know, they feel a little bit like really intense attacking of things. Um, and I'm <laughs> sure he didn't mean to do this, but it didn't feel like he was including himself in that as much. And so sometimes songs can feel like prophetic, you know, prophets calling people out. Right. But not so much themselves. Whereas that song feels like I'm calling people out and myself and all of us. (laughs) Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think um, I'm glad that you picked up on that because I think I oftentimes think way too highly of myself. Maybe that's why I do it. Maybe subconsciously I include myself (laughs) to cover my bases.
0: (laughs) You've got a very self-deprecating writing
1: style at times. That's true. That's true. I actually, in an interview recently, someone told me they felt like I I often went a little meta where I'm like singing (laughs) about singing or, you know what I mean? Like writing lyrics about Mm. writing lyrics. And I had never thought of it that way. And then, and then I started talking about Community, the TV show. Have you watched? Okay.
0: No, I haven't. Oh Um, my gosh. But I know of it. Yeah.
1: Well, it just kind of descends as the show goes on. It gets, it gets increasingly meta. And Hmm. unfortunately this is now the second time I've brought it up in an interview when the interviewee had no, (laughs) no context, (laughs) but you know, if you get a chance, it's funny. And it,
0: yeah. I mean, I know, isn't Childish Gambino in it as um, Donald Glover. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, he is. Very funny. I've never been very good at TV series stuff. Sorry. <laughs>
1: you don't have to apologize for that.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, no, go. No, nope, g- go for it. I wanted to also know, so we've kind of talked about, like, what are some people straddling that Christian secular thing that we admire? What is just some general art that, like, influences your work? can be anywhere and anything. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I love visual
1: art. I love so... The um, I love searching museum websites for for visual art, and it, it's almost as if you get to go to the museum and look at all their yeah you know their exhibits. And a lot of the art I actually use on my records is taken from public domain, you know, open access archives. Um, oh, nice! And so specifically, the Met, and I believe it's in New York, but their their open access is fantastic, and it just has. I want to say like hundreds of thousands of, of works. And so I I do think sometimes I'll just kind of like, I'll really dig into visual art. Um, I love film. I actually think film, I have the most respect for filmmakers, Um,
2: Hmm.
1: whether whether a director or producer even, but anybody who can organize a team of that size. And then pull these talents from all these different areas and then kind of create this, this, you know, one work. Mm-hmm. I find that really fascinating and I deeply respect people who do it well.
0: Um, so, something about film. So um, I've really struggled to like watch movies. I sometimes feel like there's a lot of fluff, mm-hmm. but Every now and then, a movie arrests me. And I don't know if you've seen it. Have you seen the movie Everywhere, Everything Everywhere All at Once? Yeah? No, I, I want to see it. Um, it's become probably one of my favourite all-time movies. It's definitely a mixed bag of stuff, but there is something about it, like you say, it just, you know, to pull that film off, with all of its stuff involved is amazing. But I also feel like it tells a very simple story. I don't want to give anything away in a very complicated way that shows me that it's not just a pat answer or like a, like a copy paste. This is the way we always tell this kind of story. Right. But I was actually drawn to it. Um, because the music was written by Sun Lux, I don't know if you know Sunlux I've seen the name, but i I have not listened that I know of, so can I encourage you there Sunlux are another band that are straddling this secular Christian divide, so Ryan lot um I've heard from various people that you know he has a faith and he has been exploring this in different ways if you listen to their album bones you can hear a lot of that a lot of very um he takes often the very prophetic stance of like calling out certain things but he is a very interesting lyricist and they're one of those bands which i can't get enough of okay um and especially for this this movie they wrote a two hour soundtrack for the movie. And they just released a three part album called Tomorrows, which has 30 tracks on it. They're like a powerhouse. There's three guys in it. um, Ryan Lott, Rafiq, Bahita, and Ian Chang. And they're all artists in their own right. But together, they're just like almost a a genre-less kind of you know, trio. Um, I've been dying to see them live, but I'm very, very far away from their tour right now. So, um, <laughs> I'll yeah, I encourage you if you're interested. Um, the the album Bones is a very yeah a very curious piece of art, and yeah. their work on this soundtrack of Everything Everywhere was incredible, and it's become one of my favorite pieces of art for this year. So, well,
1: yeah. I see that he. Has released music on jo- Joyful Noise Records, which is cool. Yeah. Um yep.
0: awesome. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. It's not but anyway, um what what are some like what are some films then or things that you've really spoken to you if you wanted to talk about um your enjoyment of those? Oh man. <laughs> I saw your list, by the way, you, you did an Instagram questionnaire and you had a list of all these different films and games and music and stuff like that. Yeah. It's probably a big question.
1: It is. But I mean, I, I, I really love movies. It's funny. I feel like I'm at a place in my life where I've watched so many that I have a hard time even thinking of the ones I liked. (laughs) Like I can tell you what my favorite films of all time are. Um, like I, I really love, um, apocalypse now I like the godfather one and two I Mm -hmm. I like 12 angry men I like yeah I feel like I could just I could uh Shawshank Redemption is probably my has Mm -hmm. been since I was really young probably my favorite film um Mm -hmm. but recently I mean I've watched five movies in the last week and a half so I'm and I've been on this weird kick where I've been watching romantic comedies And Mm -hmm. like teen movies from the (laughs) nineties. So I, I watched when Harry met Sally, I watched Sleepless in Seattle and then you've got mail three nights in a row. Nice. Which are all (laughs) Nora Ephron, you know, written films. Turns out Ryan. Yeah. Meg Ryan. And when Harry met Sally, surprisingly good film. I, I think I might've seen it a long time ago, but rewatching it. I mean, the entire movie is dialogue based. It's really just about the banter between, I think Billy Crystal yeah. and Meg Ryan
0: anyway. So yeah. I love, film. I saw it a long time ago too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I've been, I really enjoy watching movies. I, I went and saw the Northman. um, Oh yeah. In the theater, which I didn't like as much as the lighthouse, which was Egger's previous film, but I, I did enjoy it. It was very dark and very violent and actually kind of stuck with me in a heavy way. <laughs> I, hmm. I had a yeah. hard time shaking that one off, but um, yeah. So movies, books, I love, I love reading. I really, I've always enjoyed science fiction. I've always enjoyed fantasy and I, you know, I've read a lot of Isaac Asimov's books and Hmm. Most yeah. of Ray Bradbury and Kurt Vonnegut Jr. Those are kind of like the big three for me for a long time. But I yeah. recently have just been really interested in far future science fiction
0: because, yeah. What explain to me far future? I'm not sure if I've read much in that genre. You may have and not known it, but it's sure. it's exactly what it
1: sounds like. It's 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 science fiction, but you're looking, you know, a thousand to ten thousand years into the future. So. Mm. And because it's rooted in science and also, uh, like anthropology and, you know, the studies of religion and society, you know, it all kind of, an author has to kind of start where we are now and then think, where do I believe we will be in 10,000 years, which I just think is a really interesting Mm.
0: thought experiment. And like Dune, the Dune series. Yeah. Dune is a good example. of BC. Yeah.
1: Good. That's a good example. sorry a far future, but I, I really love Ursula K. Le Guin and her. Oh yeah. Yeah. She has this. I
0: feel bad. I have a big tome of her that I was given and I've been told how good she is, but I have not read it yet. I'm sorry. You don't,
1: you don't have to apologize, but I would encourage you to read her writing. Mm. She's, she was very, very brilliant. And it's, she's almost like the, I feel like the best science fiction authors are not, it's almost like they're using science fiction as a cover for
2: yeah um, something yes.
1: deeper that they want to dig into. And that's what I really love. And so she has these books. It's, um, I think it's known as the Hanish cycle, but she, she really kind of takes it far, far, far into the future. And it's so, so good. My favorite mm-hmm. is called the left hand of darkness. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: there's another, um, series called uh, Hyperion Cantos and it's written I think by gosh Simmons I think is his name and what I love about that book is it talks a lot about religion kind of mm. like the sparrow but like this kind of you're like religion is still surviving even you know I don't know exactly what it is but like 5,000 years into the future and it's almost still a plague (laughs) like it's Mm. in in the societies, like even on far distant planets, it's still kind of wreaking havoc, but there's also that kind of true, um, true religion as we would call it, you know, like those who are actually caring for the poor and are actually living lives of sacrificial love. Like they still exist. And so anyways, Hyperion is one I've really enjoyed. It's very dark. So if you're listening Mm. to this podcast and you are sensitive to, violence and language and things of that nature, then I would not recommend Hyperion, but it, it's a terrifying, terrifying book. So I could talk about science fiction,
0: specifically far future science fiction for a very long, long time. Well, we have time. I mean, it depends how much time you have, but yeah, I, I also saw you um, like things like the road, which is yes. also very dark and um, I haven't read it in a long time, but it kind of falls in that category of very, very sad sort of future.
1: Yeah. But also very grounded in reality. That's yeah. You wouldn't, I guess you wouldn't call that hard sci-fi because it's got that kind of post-apocalyptic feel to it, but it's um, it feels so plausible that it's, it's even scarier.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, That the father son relationship in that book is very meaningful to me. And actually I should probably reread it now that I do have a son. So
0: Mm. Um, something that was interesting. So, um, I, I, mentioned to you before we started recording that I was at, in Vancouver for a little bit. Um, my wife was at Regent. Um, they actually ran a, um, a course in the summer, which I attended cause I didn't have any responsibilities of like having to do a course and it was called Strange Grace and it was a science fiction and theology course. And so, um, we looked at a whole bunch of stuff, you know, um, that may or may not have, um, Religious themes But was kind of exploring Themes that were worth talking about And I feel like a lot of sci-fi Is like that mm-hmm. um, I don't want to gatekeep and go All sci-fi is actually an allegory Talking about the human experience Because sometimes people just want to write About cool spaceships and stuff And that's great um, But, <laughs> you know, we we looked at stuff like Margaret Atwood's um, Mad Adam trilogy yeah, um, Which is rough Again, listeners, uh, you know reading Oryx and Crake was really rough but <clears throat> there are some interesting things in it and she's an interesting writer and there's there's so much in the science fiction world which is trying to wrestle with bigger questions like um we i we were had to buy this Compedium. you'd probably like it it's called the Wesleyan anthology of science fiction and it's a bunch of short stories um by you know all the greats and one of them was called reason by Isaac Asimov and it's Mm -hmm. a really fascinating tale about a robot that doesn't believe it was made by humans um it's quite curious you might want to enjoy it's just a short story I love that I mean I love that (laughs) that's right yeah I don't know if you've also read um much John Wyndham Mm, no day of the Triffids that sort of thing what is his name again? Wyndham? John Wyndham? Yeah, The Chrysalids?
1: Oh, I think maybe The Chrysalids I've read. This like mid-century
0: yeah, it's um post it, it's like society has fallen into farming communities again um and people have developed telepathy. Um it's kind of like a deviant um like a deviation from the norm. And there is a lot of religious kind of um, language around what is a pure human and that sort of thing. Okay, Um, So it's an interesting read if you're you're interested in that kind of, again, crossover of sci-fi and religion themes and that sort of thing. And John Wyndham's an English writer, I believe. Cool. Um, Can I ask you, um, we were like saying before, should we talk about this? Do you want to talk about some games? I sure. like, we seem to have a crossover of interest in, uh, things like amnesia, the dark descent and, and, um, I yes. can't remember what else on your list and stuff. You mentioned Riven. I think was the other one. Yeah. You yeah. Yeah. Email, Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I grew up playing the mist series with my dad, and it's actually been a lovely bonding thing that we have. So I think we played abduction over, um, FaceTime when I was living in Canada. And so we just both had steam open and we're playing, uh, and kind of working out the puzzles together. And so we've done mist, Riven, exile, a bit of end of ages, a bit of revelation and then abduction. And so interestingly, those guys, I think the brothers are Christians and they're, yeah. you know, they've written books and their, their games are kind of interesting themes. What What are your thoughts on those? Um,
1: well actually i actually i i mean i love i love mist and i love Riven um hmm. I really enjoyed playing Riven as an adult um because I obviously played as a kid and mm, i i had yeah. my little notebook and um you know the was writing down and drawing puzzles in my notebook i mean i really got into yeah. it. um I love games that are immersive and exploratory especially like i i enjoy the exploration aspect of video games almost more than I do any other video game mechanic. So Mm. mist is a good example, but any game where there's unknown parts that I have to venture into, I am Mm. very intrigued by. And so of course, as soon as I discovered like open world um, games with heavy exploration, I was very, very, very interested. But you, I mean, Mm. You just listed that whole, the Cyan, right? The Cyan is the the yeah. company that, I mean, you just listed a bunch of what they did. And, um, I'm searching my friend, my, my buddy, Marty O'Donnell, he worked on the Mist series. And actually oh, cool. my friend Dick Staub, who wrote to Christian Tupeg and his son worked on Mist. And so, hmm. um, yeah, Marty worked on this. I'm looking at this. I, I wish we'd get Marty to talk about this, but anyways, I love those games and I love
0: another conversation for another time.
1: <laughs> yeah. He would be a really interesting person to talk to because he has a faith. He did the, uh, the original halo soundtrack. So he, he has this oh, like rich right. history with video games and music in general. Mm. But, Um, but I, yeah, amnesia the dark descent is still to this day, the scariest video game I've ever played. And Hmm. i don't
0: know if we want to talk about that but um i mean I, i'm so open to chatting about anything um like if you'd <laughs> like to chat i'm sure t- I, I played it too although i made sure i played it during the daytime <laughs> me too i i
1: tried I, mean, I tried to play it at night and i couldn't i took it on tour so i beat amnesia <laughs> of the dark descent on tour with the Lonely Forest, my previous band. And I remember sitting in our tour van and I could play about 10 minutes at a time and then I had to turn it off. And that was in broad daylight in a tour van, right? I was surrounded by people. So <laughs> I just think there's so much power in that game. And it's basically all due to the restraint that they have hmm. in regards to the game mechanics. They're not showing you, you know, the creatures very much. You often just hear them. This idea mm. that you're defenseless, you can not you can never really protect yourselves, you can, only, you can only really hide or, you know, bar a door mm. or hide in a closet. Those are just fantastic game mechanics. And,
0: and limited oil and yes. not being able to look directly in the direction of the monster.
1: <laughs> yeah, the insanity mechanic is brilliant. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. that game, I think when I played it, it was pretty new and I don't know where I'd read about it but it, I remember hearing people talk about it in the years prior as if it was a classic. Um, Mm. but yeah, I love video games. I am currently playing this game called days gone, which is a PlayStation four game that was hated by critics. (laughs) And so I was reluctant to play it and I downloaded it, um, off of this PlayStation store for a deal and thought I'll, I'll give it a try. And it's pretty good. It's, it's a little dark and a little violent for me. And actually, I don't know if this is just because I'm getting older or maybe just as I grow closer to Jesus, I care about these things more, but I, um, the language is the one thing in the game that is really hard on me. Like the, mm. the, the, dialogue that they've written, I'm sure that they were just trying to create an atmosphere because you're, you play as this biker mm. who clearly has this very foul mouth, but it just, after a while it kind of wears on me, but that's the game mm. I am playing right now, it has a, it has similar mechanics in that you, to amnesia and that you, you have a motorcycle and you can only really save if you're out in the open world when you're by your motorcycle. And if your motorcycle runs out of gas, you have to, you have to explore yeah. to find gas. And then you find yourselves in these precarious situations where it's a zombie game. You're suddenly like mm. surrounded by hundreds of zombies and you didn't get to save. That's Right. it's a a very scary but very well done game mechanic so um
0: yeah that's cool
1: have you played um yeah what what video games do you play I mean you're a parent right you said you have a daughter so like where do you what what kind of
0: games do you play now I would classify myself as a patient gamer now I I collect things when they're on sale and gradually eke them out amongst like making music and doing my job and stuff like that Mm -hmm. but um I was put on to um, Disco Elysium recently. Oh, yeah. Which is uh, like a, an RPG. Um, and I have enjoyed it because it's purely the art of conversation. There's not much gameplay. And I think that comes from I kind of suck dexterity-wise. Like I am not good at games like Sonic. I can't do fast things on games. So I depend more on my brain. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and which you know growing up playing the miss series i i like games that are not gonna like super raise my heart rate. Right? although i do love silly games like ultra kill you know which is just a jump around fps shoot everything right this is fun yeah but like you know i've been kind of slowly working my way through things like i've also been replaying the original deus ex which is oh i love um, that game yeah it's such a such a great time. I, I played it when it first came out little bits and then I played it again as an adult and then I'm replaying it just cause I, I love the, I mean, it's a sci-fi cyberpunk thing. So it's ticking yeah, those boxes for but sure. It's also, it's the multiple paths and taking your own route through the world. That's really beautiful. So yeah, yeah. I, I love, yeah, so been, I love games like that. Yeah. They're very, they're very interesting. I I don't want to um, take up too much more of your time, so I wanted to. We can come back to this if you want. I wanted to just before, like as a the next piece, and this can be the end or it can be more. I want to talk about part four of your albums. Mm-hmm. I want to come full circle back. You know, we've been talking about inspirations that sort of thing, sort of thing and evidently those things probably do flow into this, but um. Part four, from what I understand of I Am Origami, has been in the works for a while. And I didn't realise this because I watched your sessions in place um, live stream last year. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of people in the chat were like, when is Marathon Days coming out? And I was like, what is this Marathon Days? So evidently you've had this idea of this fourth part of I Am Origami um, for a little while and you played a lot of songs from. Um, marathon days in this live show and actually Oh Sweetest Name was the first song you played and it really arrested me like I, th- I love the quaver in your voice and I love the the lyric and the kind of intensity of that song mm-hmm. um, do you want to tell me just generally about the album and any details you want
1: <laughs> sure um, yeah it's been in the works for a long time some of the songs are over 10 years old um, okay. And right as I released part one, I played this KEXP in studio and actually played marathon days, the song in, in that studio performance. So it's been sitting around I, I for, watched that for a while. I watched that just recently. Yeah. 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 Um, my idea for it was, well, I, I, I did think eventually I did initially think that I would have a part five and then as part five take began to take shape, it was too similar to a catacomb hymn. And mm-hmm. I didn't want to end the record on, or the, the album series on that note. So I decided that part five would just be its own thing that comes out after the I am origami series is complete. And that okay. allowed me to see marathon days as the final kind of artistic statement in this, this series. And mm. It it helped me because I could begin to think how do I want to end this, and that includes lyrically, you know, kind of the the thematic um, through line, the the sounds, you know, sonically, what do I want, what do I want it to sound like? And I I really wanted it to sound like a combination of the other three, and lyrically yep. I kind of wanted it to be a combination of the other three.
2: Hmm.
1: Yeah. And. When you listen to the deluxe edition, which includes, you know, a few more songs, um, it actually is the complete kind of vision of the record. It's just the deluxe edition clocks in at something like 76 minutes and it felt too big. And I just felt like I needed to cut that down a little. But um, I like that the record starts with Oh Sweetest Name, which is a song using almost like double speak. I'm using these, this abstract language to provoke and communicate an intensity and an anger and a confusion that I was feeling. And it, those, those lines came out of me so quickly. I wasn't Hmm. premeditating those lyrics. They just, it sounds funny, but they really did just kind of flow out of me. And um, it was only in hindsight that I began to kind of discover for myself what it even meant. And mm. that line, you know, Oh, sweetest name, is this really who I am? Do I need your love? Like a gun needs a hand, which in America right now today is very potent considering we've yeah. had two mass shootings in the last week and a half and two of the worst. Um, mm. I think starting the record that way, speaking to Jesus, that's who I'm singing to when I say, Oh, sweetest name. Um, Mm -hmm. And just saying like, Hey, I know you as this, this way. Like I think of you as one thing, but it feels like most of the Christians around me think of you as something different. And American Christians have embraced so wholeheartedly, at least many of them, you know, they, they've they kind of gotten on board with Trumpism and they've they endorsed him specifically as a candidate. You know, this man who is, he bullies people and he speaks without thinking and he he's pretty clearly misogynistic. And there's this mm. toxic masculinity about him and so many American mm. Christians turn to him as if he was sent from God as a savior. And I am very uncomfortable with that. And so mm. the song in general comes from this place of like, I don't see myself in the culture around me. Like when I, when I, when I mingle with other Christians, I usually feel like I don't belong. And the Jesus I believe in was, you know, speaking of nonviolence and was speaking mm. of peace. And, you know, and get, I'm actually kind of emotional talking about it, but like, you know, loving mm. your neighbor and turning the other cheek and those who live by the sword die by, by the sword. And so I, it's basically me saying like, Hey, are you the God of like America? Like Jesus, are you the God that like these people think you are the one who like, do I need your love? Like a gun needs a hand. Like, do I, are are we Mm. to weaponize you? And I think that that abstract language is really important to me because it circles back to what we talked about earlier, but this idea that like, like why does all christian art have to be so clear all the time and why does it have to be yeah it always has to have some utility like useful for the church in some manner or yeah. devotional yeah. in nature like to me it's just it's leaving out so much of what um god made us to be and this existence is clearly wrapped in mystery so anyways i like Starting the record that way, and then if you listen all the way to the end of the deluxe version, you end with um,
0: two. If or, I get to heaven,
1: yeah, you end with two really important songs to me. There's God outside of time and If I get to heaven. M God outside of time, I recorded in the room where I'm standing right now, and it, hmm. I it's I wanted it to be sonically the worst sounding song on the record, and I actually think it is like. I love that
0: heaviness. I love it. I've, I've just got here. Love the end of God outside of time. Oh,
1: well, that makes me so happy because I think lyrically and even maybe some of the melody, like it could be a worship song sung by like a pretty standard mm. or popular alternative worship artist and maybe even a more mainstream one. I'm not really sure. But mm. to... You know, add those arpeggiating scents that are outside of time, like they're literally not in time. Mm. And then to build into this crescendo in which I'm layering like fifteen fuzz guitars and it it sounds yeah. it sounds kind of bad sonically, like it, it does not have a high quality to it. It's to me, it's kind of like a it's somehow extremely worshipful to make music like that because that's the type of music I love. But it's also yeah. a statement. It's essentially saying like, hey I love Jesus and I can make worship music that sounds like this and you can't stop me. And it's still, it can still be powerful. Even if it sounds like it was recorded on like one crappy mic. And yeah. And so I love that. And then of course it it stops, it becomes this kind of like wall of noise and then stops. And then if I had, if I was gutsier, it would have been a longer ambient track, but like it kind of has that like ambient ending into if I get to heaven and yeah. If I get to heaven, then finishing on the reprise of um all shall be well yes. on the piano. And yeah. that to me, it's almost as if I, I was trying to say like this is the whole series in a nutshell. Like this is this is the actual spectrum of thoughts and belief. It's um sometimes really loud. It's sometimes it's basically like pastoral folk and and you can't tell me what to do. <laughs> and, you know what I mean? Like the, It sounds yeah. it sounds a little uh, petty, but that's really how I feel about it as a whole. It's it's um, and that's what I like about but, it. And but I also think that's but it's what... so
0: in, yeah. it's so important to have different people speaking this kind of thing, so that people feel welcomed into the church. So for me. I feel encouraged when I, you know, hear someone doing something and go, oh, that's welcome too. Like, you know, I am welcome. And it's not like you must be like this to be a part of this group. It's like, no, the church, you know, Jesus called all people to come follow him. Um, and we had, you know, there are things that have to change as well. But, I mean, maybe maybe I'll narrow it down a little bit more. But, like, maybe it's just an artist thing. People who are making music and that sort of thing sometimes don't feel like they can be that person in the context of the church. Like, oh, this certain sound is not welcome. You know, it must be soft pop to be welcome in the church. <laughs> Whereas, you know, when I hear stuff like, that part in God outside of time. And like I mentioned before, the like, nothing must end. And, and, and even, I mean, there's bigger conversation, but our mutual friend, John Ringhoffer, his music encourages me that all expressions of worship are like, leg- like, well, these, you know, there's so many different ways to express worship.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, I don't want to talk too much about myself, but, uh, a couple of years ago, I realised I really love drone experimental, like, sound collage stuff. Mm-hmm. So I kind of went about to try and write spiritually-minded drone-ambient stuff. And in a similar way, like, I thought really hard about the titles and I wanted them to say things that were important to me and my faith but the sound really does contrast what you might expect from that title, yeah. um, you know. And so there is a there's a power in subverting expectations. You know, a song like "God Outside of Time," you s- expect a certain thing, and you hear something different, and that expands your view of what this God outside of time is like. So,
1: I love that's that. very cool. I love that you make. Um spiritually led drone music. I mean, that's <laughs> I love that so much. It's funny. I I I've had that exact thought. Like I talked there's um a friend of mine named Glenn Galloway who was in a band called Soul Junk.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've been listening to a lot of Truman's Water recently and oh, Soul Junk.
1: Yeah. That's fantastic. So <coughs> Glenn and I have joked for years now about basically recording a noise record but with like titles like Jesus is Lord and you know just the most um blatantly obvious jesus references we can yeah <laughs> so i feel like you and i are on a similar wavelength there because i think it's just fun like you said to subvert but not in an in an antagonistic yeah, way not in
0: a trolling kind of way we're not no. like it's not meant to be mean it's just that like done with the right heart this is legitimate and expands people's understanding of god like you know, we have so many different types of text in the Bible which expand our view of God. Why not in the music sphere too? Yeah. Yeah. Interestingly, um, have you ever heard of a band called Even Oxen? I love Even Oxen. And actually when great, we were
1: going to talk about <laughs> Christian artists that we like, he came yeah. to mind.
0: Because he, I remember discovering that, oh, what's the album that came out in 2016? The... Um,
1: you know I'm the searching one. it cause I do know the one and I can't yep. think of it either.
0: <clears throat> that the opening track, which is the like, it destroys your speakers. Like he obviously mastered this thing way louder than he should have. A <laughs> raid, a
1: raid above the Seraphim lights.
0: Yes. That album floored me because it's like neutral milk, but even more noise. Oh, much and more. <laughs> yeah. And much more focused biblical lyrics. Um, I've spoken a little bit to him, the Ber- Beresine, Beresine, yeah. Beristain. Yeah, just um we're part of a mutual Discord church server. Um and uh I've just told him how much I really love his music and and um that album particularly. I got the tape, I nabbed one. Um that that album encouraged me as well to kind of keep exploring that sphere, although I think he does it in a much more accessible way ironically. Mm-hmm. But That whole sphere of like noise music with a spiritual influence is so fascinating to me because there is so much passion that can be expressed through that. And you hear it on your Marathon Days title track. I loved the like crescendo of noise as you're trying to find silence, and then mm-hmm. all the chaos keeps creeping in. And so you've used it in small, probably much more swallowable, uh, yes, like easy to digest ways. Yes, um, and I think that's probably a wise thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, rather than going full out, if you want to actually, you know, I mean, be able to draw in certain listeners.
1: So it's funny you mentioned none other as your fav- one of your favorites. The, mm, the original yeah. version of none other had like four minutes of noise after it. Ooh. And I'd like to hear that. There <laughs> were, there were like a handful, I think like three or four pretty long ambient tracks on every Power Out awake that I nixed pretty much at the mm. last minute, because I really felt like I was going to take people out of the, um, it, it, it guess, I guess what I would say is it was serving mm. a purpose for me. Like I liked the artistic statement that it made, but it, I knew when I was sharing it with people that it was going to take them out of that devotional aspect. And in the end, I really wanted it from start to finish to be this devotional piece. But yeah, like you said, I still got to kind of inject, you know, the occasional guitar that's not playing in the right key or perhaps mm. um the kind of wall of fuzz that I get to, to play with on the title track. Like that's all me very subtly. Yeah. And like you said, What do you say? Swallowable, (laughs) creating these little moments of digestible, digestible. (laughs) Yeah, these little moments of like, hey, noise and fuzz and field recordings. Those are all Hmm. really interesting to me. And if I had my way, I'd I would find more more worship that includes all of that. And you know, growing up Hmm. in Anacortes, Washington, surrounded by the DIY scene here, the Know Your Own records. That's connected to K records and all of the DIY artists that I grew up around. I've always wanted to implement more of that into the kind of, you know, pop music for lack of a better term that I get that I can naturally create. And um, mm. so yes, even Oxen, I, I really like his music and I, yeah, I hope he continues making music. I think John, John was the first person to tell me about John Ringhoffer. Tell me about Evan
0: Oxen. Yeah. Yeah, so I found Evan Oxen through an a now dead blog, Spirit You All Music. Did you ever? Yes. See this? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and that's where I think I met E. J. Olson. Um, oh yeah. And we are mirrors. So, um, anyway, it's just crossovers, like because he reviewed, he interviewed John Ringhoffer at one point, and then we got in contact, um, just about some stuff, and so. There seems to be a really rich, like talking about spheres where there's people creating um, spiritually minded music in interesting ways. Um, uh, Justin, who ran Spirit You All, and and EJ Olson, like have been curating these like really interesting kind of um, collections of artists.
1: Yeah, I like I like those guys. I like yeah. I um, EJ
0: wrote the bio for my new record. Oh, cool! Yeah. So I on, on the one that's on Bandcamp, the um, the blurb. No, that's
1: that's a kind of like an essay, or I don't know yeah. what you'd call it. But the um, I actually don't know. I think it's now officially out that it's on it's on my website. You can find the um, I'm looking at my website. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's up. Yeah, no, it's up. By the way, I would cool. encourage you to go to my new website. It is a work of art.
0: I saw something about this on Instagram. Is it the nineties like, um, Winamp style? Yes. Kind of yeah. There thing? is a Winamp cool.
1: player. It's got beautiful, some really amazing clip art. I'm really excited about it.
0: Do you know who Jay Tholen is? Jay Thorne. Jay Tholen. Tholen. I don't think so. Okay. So <laughs> this is just total, total cross pollination here. So I'm a part. I mentioned this Discord server. I'm part of. It's like a church group called Odd Church, and it's run by this game dev musician called Jay Tholen. Okay. He actually, um, he made Dropsy. Do you know what Dropsy is? No. The game. It's um. It came out on Devolver Digital. Devolver's famous for like the Hotline Miami series, okay. which is hyper violent. And um, Jay Tholen is a Christian dev who put out this game. It's a point-and-click adventure game, pixel art, about a a clown that likes to hug people. And (laughs) it's a beautiful, very spiritually informed game. And Jay himself writes kind of like um, he also did Hypnospace Outlaw, which is um, a 90s internet simulator point-and-click adventure game. We're getting super niche here. This guy sounds amazing. Um, (laughs) He is he. His work is um amazing, and his website is like yours. Um, it's that that is it. GeoCities, the kind of like yes, really old school style thing, because he's really into like build engine games like Blood and Duke Nukem, but he's making them himself as a Christian with different things. So a very interesting guy. I'll put you onto his stuff, but I think you might resonate in that same. Sphere and all that sort of thing Yeah <laughs> Just It's ridiculous how much good stuff Is out there when you kind of Like dig, 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 dig And I think that we live in a Like I know that what you've been Saying is that sometimes it feels like There's not a lot of room for this But I think when you hear about guys Like Glenn Galloway who've been Doing this for such a long time and John Ringhoffer and You know even like Sufyan, Who's a much bigger name um, and Danielson and all these people have been mm-hmm. doing music in this very unique way, just doing their own thing from a Christian perspective um, for a long time. You you don't feel so alone, I think.
1: Yeah, no, that's true. And I I do need to remember that. I think, and probably find my way back to that a little bit because I I. You know, recently the last song I released prior to Marathon Days was a, a song with a friend of mine, a worship artist that goes by Judah, who's also in Judah and the Lion. And it's Oh, cool. I like Judah and I, I like his music a lot. In fact, the solo music he's making that is um it's worship music, but it's it's loud. It's it's definitely um it kind of reminds me of, you know, Christian music made in the nineties, and it's just more interesting. But hmm. I think I've found myself a little bit more in that like the bigger world of Christian music. And I need to kind of maybe work my way back into the little like caverns of interesting art where people are breaking more rules because I think that's really what I, what I want to do. And I am gearing up to make another alternative worship record. And I, um, Hmm. my hope is to make, you know, the weird and noise, the the weird and the noisy palpable and Mm. somehow still, like, I still want someone to hear a modern hymn that I write and think I could sing this in church. And so like, how can you do that and still make it weird? That's a, that is a tough line to walk.
0: It's a very hard line to walk. And so, you know, I feel like, although you feel like you need to go back into the nooks and find the things, the space in which you are writing is a very important space for people who aren't as kind of like uninformed like I am about what the bigger perspective of Christian music is in the world. And, you know, and they just need a way in to music which is nuanced and actually telling the big story of the Bible, you know, in ways that's palpable at that time because, I forget that not everyone just likes to listen to a new band every single week, like you know. <laughs> I forget that people struggle to find new things, you know, and let them into their lives. And so, yeah, you know, um, it's a good thing that you're doing, um, you know, being in this space on tooth and nail, where you know, because maybe wrongly, like I just kind of, I kind of left bands in tooth and nail behind and went, ah, oh, I think that was more my my um, teenage years. Yeah. Although me without you have stuck with me Mm -hmm. and, you know, Danielson was on tooth and nail and there's some really good artists on there who are still making music. Yeah. So yeah, I, it's good that they're putting people out like you in this sphere of the halfway between the two.
1: Yes, for sure. Yeah. And tooth does, does a good job at that. I think, you know, Starflyer 59, for example, still releases records on tooth mm. and nail. And I'll never forget looking at that, that list of the best, it was like the 50 greatest shoegaze releases of all time on Pitchfork. And there's a Starflyer 59 record, like, nice. it, which just blew my mind, of course, but I, yeah, no, I, it's funny because when I was making a Catacomb Hymn, I specifically tried to make a record I would have enjoyed in ninth grade. And so I was drawing influence from, you know, maybe some, some better bands like, you know, the Pixies or earlier Weezer, but I was also drawing yep. influence from, you know, bands that I like, but I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say they're really, really, really good, you know? And I think yep. bands kind of like, um, uh, Blink-182, for example. Yeah. I mean, I love Blink-182. I don't think they're high art.
0: <laughs> yeah. so. It's funny. I was listening, re-listening to a catacomb hymn and I listened to, this is so not a piece of art, but The Fold, This Too Shall Pass, which is like a, did you ever listen to The Fold? No. <laughs> they're like another, just a small, yeah, Christian band from, like nothing special, but it just was so reminiscent of stuff I listened to when I was a teen that it, it captured that joyous sound whilst actually having something worthwhile, say. So.
1: <laughs> and they're a tooth and nail band.
0: Yeah, they are. I think they're an old one. So yeah, it's just the. I was really into. I don't know. I've been through so many phases of music. <laughs> yeah, which you probably resonate with. I do. Um,
2: yeah, yeah.
0: Man, perhaps just as like a a finishing, mm-hmm. but up to you. Um, I I do need you to go. I need to go be a dad. <laughs> yeah, I probably need to do the same as well. Um, did you want to just quickly tell us what's next? Like you mentioned, I've heard you mention a children's album because I listen to a bit of children's music now that my daughter is two and a bit and Mm -hmm. you know, she doesn't like to listen to everything I like to listen to all the time. So, you know, I'm interested (laughs) you're writing children's music and you've got this other release planned. You want to just tell us what's next and then we can kind of wrap up. Yeah. Thank you for
1: asking. I, I will release marathon days in a week. Um, Mm -hmm. The content EP, which is essentially side D from Marathon Days, Mm -hmm. will then come out maybe in six weeks after that. Um, I have recorded what I call bedroom hymns and worship, but essentially it's like, I don't know if it will be 10 songs or 11 or 12 or 13, but it's it's a bunch of worship music that I recorded um, that I wanted to sound like a bedroom record and um, Mm. includes... It includes old hymns, but also like worship songs from the 90s that we don't sing anymore. <laughs> um, nice. I plan on recording a collection of Christmas hymns. Um, oh, cool. I'll actually, I'm going into the studio in a couple of weeks to do that, and then I'm also going into the studio in a few weeks to finish up my fifth LP, which is coming out on Tooth & Nail Records. Um, mm-hmm. That will come out next year. Um, I am in a new band called Telephone Friends, which includes Tyson Motzenbacher, one of my tooth and nail label mates. And Mm -hmm. we finished that record. We recorded it with, um, Andy Park, who produced part one and part three of I'm Origami. He also produced part, my, sorry, my fifth LP. And he's, Mm -hmm. he's a fantastic producer. Um, you know, did the latest Page of the Lion, um, Mm -hmm. So I've got a lot going on. I've been discussing doing a second LP with the, the punk band I'm in, Buffet.
0: Um, I was listening to the 2019 LP last night. That's so great. Oh. I know EJ Olsen loves that record. <laughs> yeah, he does, yeah. <laughs> All uh, American, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I, I like that record a lot. Um, So yeah, I, I, I am making a lot of music and I am, as you said, currently writing a children's record. It's, it's a little bit raffy. I really like okay. Elizabeth Mitchell, who released You Are My Little Bird. Um I don't know it. You should check it out. It's it's surprisingly yeah. I don't know how to say it. it. it's it's um there's nothing pretentious about it. It's just very simple, but it, it really it really works. Um mm. so yeah, I I like Elizabeth Mitchell and her style. So I'll probably try to keep my children's record pretty simple and mm. Um, yeah, that's all the music that I'm working on. Um, I am, Oh, I am making, I'm making an ambient (laughs) record. I've got like 25 minutes of it done. And, um, I'm trying to decide if I want to like extend it to an hour. Um, yeah. Yeah. So doing all the things while trying to be a dad and a husband and work at a church and do other things. So you understand.
0: Yes. Yes, I do. Though my music career is is not a career It's just a side thing But yes, it's a lot to <laughs> juggle And it's a it's a good juggle It it keeps you sane and human and, and grounded And that sort of thing But mm-hmm. look, thank you so much for taking the time to chat And telling me all about what's happening I'm very, very excited about what you've got coming up next And it was really nice just to get to know you a little bit more Um, And your music I feel like it's kind of being growing and growing and growing, and I'm just excited to kind of explore. You know, I've been listening to, um, The Lonely Forest a little bit last night, and Buffet, and excited about Telephone Friends and all these kinds of things. So yeah, I wish you all the best with all your different projects, and yeah, thanks so much for taking the time to chat. Well,
1: um, it was great. It was a good conversation, and um, I really do appreciate you doing it. I think it's um. Yeah, I don't. I just love talking about myself, Asher. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, but in, it, but I think I I feel I feel thankful because it, it allows me to kind of dig into what's behind the record a little bit, and that, that's it's almost therapeutic for me to do that with somebody, especially somebody I don't know.
0: It's it's nice. So um, it's so much better to talk about your own music than to just be like kind of sending it out into the world because it actually keeps you reflecting upon your own thing in not an egotistical way. I think when you don't talk about it, it becomes more of an egotistical way. Like it's untouchable. Like you can't talk about those things. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I Very get that. Important.
1: This And you actually, mm. you brought up some points that I hadn't even considered. So now I have to go kind of ruminate on those things, but, um, I appreciate it. And I, um, I look forward to listening and I guess we will talk again. Um, That'd be lovely. But yeah, I appreciate it. I've actually talked with my friend, uh, Tenille about coming to Australia because her and I, do, do you know, Tennille? Yes.
0: So, um, so I have another friend in WA. Uh, so I'm from WA originally, actually. I'm not, I wasn't born in Perth, but I was born North of Perth and lived in Perth for a little bit right. as a young child. But, um, Tennille knows a friend, Jacob Wild, who's another musician in Perth, who's, who I really appreciate his work in the same sphere of that Christian folk secular divide sort of thing. Awesome. Um, But uh, that's really exciting because I saw that you did a song with her recently.
1: I did. She actually sings on one of the songs on my children's record and we're actually currently working on um, a collaboration of some kind of um, really calm, folky worship music. So, Um, Fantastic. So I've talked to her before about coming and playing shows in Australia. So if that happens, we can meet. Um, I would love that. But until then, maybe we'll talk again soon. All right. Well, hey, I appreciate it. I'm going to go be a dad.
0: Yep. Yep. Sounds good. I'm just going to hit record. So uh, hit stop. Bye. Bye. (laughs)